Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner of the break. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, someone who had a tremendous career at the professional level, 14 years in the NBA, played for a number of teams. He was an all-around versatile player with a ton of length and a skill set that not a lot of players could match up with. I know when I had to guard him, I was in trouble. Hopefully he felt the same way about me, but I don't think that was the case. None other than the pride of St. Louis, Larry Hughes. Thanks for joining. Oh, man, appreciate you for having, having me on, man. Absolutely. Well, let's just get right into St. Louis basketball real quick because it's a city that I've actually been to a number of times. My wife's dad grew up just outside St. Louis in O'Fallon, Illinois, so I've been there for family events. I've been there for uh, St. Louis Cardinal baseball games as well as broadcasts at St. Louis University. Tell me your favorite thing about your home city. Um, Man, the the home city, I I think – if you know if we're talking about in in the sports space, I'm going to talk about the Cardinals uh, because obviously when we, you talk to people around the country, you know you want to talk about something that they can relate to or something that they've heard about. Um, and for me, man, it's the Cardinals. Like you know, obviously not the Yankees, obviously not the Dodgers, but I mean, when you say the Cardinals, especially around the area around town, I mean they we hold them in you know such a high standard, you know, high regard. So if we're talking about sports, man. Um, Obviously, we're basketball people, but the St. Louis Cardinals is is definitely a special uh, token that we have here in town. I was lucky enough uh, to go to a St. Louis Cardinals game that year. It was, I believe, right around 2000 where Mark McGuire was en route to break the home run record for a single season. I went to a game. I think he had 57 home runs at the time. Was every kid... And even like uh, you and I would have been about 20 years old. Was every young person in St. Louis at that time uh, thinking they were Mark McGuire playing in, in the in the Sandlot? Hey, for sure, man. For sure. I mean, being in the Midwest, right? I mean, you got, you know, you got the East Coast, you got the West Coast. But when you get something that you can hold on to in the Midwest, like chasing, you know, a, a record. I mean, all of the kids. I mean, you know, we even got a street name uh, for – for Mark, and he's not even a St. Louis guy, you know, so he really came in, into the city and really represented very well. Last St. Louis-based question before we get on to some other stuff. Ted Drews, is that as big a deal for hometown St. Louis guys as it is for, for tourists coming through town? You know what? It depends on the area that you're in. I think people um, in South South County, I think they visit, they may visit a little bit more than the people out west. Uh, but if you come to St. Louis, you definitely have to go there because the lines will be around the corner. You know what I'm saying? So you have to experience 
uh, Ted Drews for sure. And it's a fam. I mean, we talk about it in town, you know, just as well as people talk about it when they come in to do tour stuff. You know, they got to stop by Ted Drews. So, yeah, yeah, definitely if you're an outsider, you got to come to Ted Drews. Well, hopefully the next time I'm in town, I check that out. But, you know, obviously you had a tremendous playing career and that's someplace, uh, something that obviously you get asked about a lot. When you were growing up, I'm always curious to hear who you who players kind of pattern their game after, because as I mentioned in the intro, you were versatile. You could do a lot of different things on the floor. Who was the guy that you really looked up to? I think for me, it was probably uh, Penny Hardaway. Um, obviously Midwest and, and him being, you know, in Memphis. Uh, and, and also, you know, from the, the pro side would be uh, Scotty Pippen. You know, those are two guys that I felt had the same kind of body style, body type. Um, guys that played on both ends of the court. So definitely um, Penny and, and, and Scotty uh, growing up. Yeah, I can see a lot of that uh, similarities in your game to their games. Um, and, and it's funny that you mentioned body styles. So I recently had Mark Price on as a guest, and he was one of three point guards that I really looked up to as a kid kind of growing up. The obvious is John Stockton. I got to know him when I was at Gonzaga. Mark Price and then Rod Strickland. Um, it's funny because I had similarities, obviously size with John as well as Mark. Um, and it's, and it's cool to see you saying the same about Penny as, as well as Scottie Pippen. So you spent one year at St. Louis at the hometown college. Did you go in knowing that it was probably going to be one and done for you? Because that was still in an era where if you declared early, it was probably after your junior year of college. Yeah, it was that time, right? Either you were going directly from high school or actually once you got to college, then you would stay in college and, and mature a little bit more uh, before you went to the league. But no, I had no idea uh, going into college that I would you know, be there for a few months. Uh, it was just sort of just going in, like doing what I had to do, working as hard as I had to work, and then allowing like the outsiders would come in and say, hey, you probably have a chance to you know, to be drafted or, or make it to the NBA. And that was my, you know, my green light. And that was when I was, you know, finally aware that I could make it into the league. But going into college, I had no idea that, you know, that I would just go there for one year. Well, we went, we both went to Nike All-American camp uh, summer of 96. We both graduated high school in 96. You, as you just mentioned and described, your game exploded on the college scene and everybody's career path is different. I had injuries. I had to get acclimated to the game and reach my full potential. But when you are, when you look back at it now, what were your favorite experiences for that one year uh, at St. Louis? Uh, really, at, at the university, I, I knew a lot of the guys. Uh, a number of my my AAU teammates, we actually went to St. Louis University together, so we were all freshmen there. So I could just remember it being comfortable, it being, you know, just like the environment that I left with my high school group and also, you know, my AU, my, my travel team. So I knew everybody there. I knew the faces. I knew the attitude. So it wasn't anything where we had to, we weren't necessarily competing against each other for the limelight. We were just going to compete and work hard to figure out, you know, where we could take this thing. So what I remember most is just being really accepted, uh, being really comfortable with my skin, being really comfortable in my environment. Um, and just being promoted and pushed by, by all the coaches there. So with you being a one and done and you run a, a basketball academy in St. Louis, 
I'm sure there's lots of players that look up to you and, and ask you for your experiences, ask you for your advice. What's the biggest piece of advice you would give to maybe a senior who's looking to go that G League Ignite route or maybe overseas, which a lot of guys have done, or if they're a freshman looking to leave uh, after their freshman year, what type of advice would you give them? Well, I think the landscape is, is, is greater now, right? There's, there's more kids playing. The, the, the level of, of talent that's out there in the space is, you know, is amazing. But I think that there's a place for everyone. And I think there's a, even if you want to play and be paid to play basketball, there's multiple leagues and th things of that nature uh, that you can compete at. And I would say is, to, is definitely chase your dreams, but understand what the landscape is. Because we talk to kids that want to make it to the NBA, but we really know that their option is an overseas job. When I tell kids all the time and parents all the time as well, is that you can make a really great living if you live within your means, protect your money, and understand who you are, and also get paid to play basketball. Like the NBA is the greatest league in the world, but it's not the end all be all. So if you have a passion for playing basketball, continue to chase that passion. Don't allow the fanfare of, or, of this league or that league to, to skew what your vision is. If you have a passion for the game, make sure that you fulfill that passion for the game and, and whatever league that is, you know, I feel like if that's your passion, you're going to get the best benefit out of it. What's and, and maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of players, when you're done, you kind of have to find a void of filling that passion for basketball. I've gotten into broadcasting and, and a little bit of coaching at the youth level. You're running an academy. What, what do you feel your passion for the game of basketball with now? I think it's helping the young people and helping the young people with their understanding of what it actually takes to make it to the highest level of basketball. Uh, and then also having that bridge between the young person and their parents. Uh, because when working with the young people, I've found that our young people have a different vision and a different plan than what their parents have. So I try to push our young people to continue to chase their goals and chase their dreams, no matter what's going on around them, to continue to chase their dream. And that's a passion of mine to, to give the experiences that I had, to give those back, because we all want to, to go through life and we want to experience things but I don't want you to have the, the same challenges that I had if you don't need to have those challenges. So it's really my passion now is really giving those experiences back to the, to the younger people. You know, I really like that because there, there isn't the talent level in Spokane, Washington that there is, I'm sure, in St. Louis that you, you work with. But the, the expectations of a lot of parents don't line up with kids. Sometimes the kids you know, just want to make their, their high school team and have a good career where maybe the parents are, are really pushing them, uh, you know, to get to the college level or do different things. How do you balance the message between a player that you're working with and a parent when you know they might be far apart? Well, it's about communication, right? It's, it's really about communication and having the right people in place to, to give the knowledge, having the right mentors in place to give the knowledge. So we never want to tear down a kid's dream of, of making it to the NBA. We never want to tear down a parent's dream for their, for their kid to make it to the NBA. But at the same time, we, we're realistic with that kid because at the end of the day, right, that young person has to be comfortable with who they are and what they're doing. And at some point in time, the leash that their parents have on them, it's going to run out. And, you know, that young person is going to be there to, to try to figure it out on, on, on their own. 
So let's talk a little bit about your NBA career now. I had mentioned 14 years. You had a couple, not that you didn't have a lot of good years, but a couple in particular, you averaged over 20 points a game. When you look at the evolution of, of a player's game and their growth at the NBA level, what was the biggest learning curve that you had to adjust to to become a really successful pro? Well, I think every situation is different. And going into the league, you have to understand that every situation is different, right? Even coming from high school, going to college, you're going to have a different role, a different sort of, you know, job to, to do. And it's no different than the NBA. So from team to team, you're going to have a different role, um, you know, different things that you're expected to do. And it may not be score. It may not be to defend. It just can vary on, on depending on what situation that you're in. So that's something that I, I learned, right? I, I was in Washington, had this particular role of, you know, playing both ends, put the ball in the hole at a high level, and then you go to the Cleveland situation and you're putting the pieces together to build a championship team. And it looks a little bit different because you have this megastar who's growing into his own uh, with LeBron James. So some of that is, is give and take, and some of that is just sacrifice. And I think that that's what I've learned. Uh, what I learned, you know, over my years in the league is, you know, kind of when to sacrifice and when to uh, push through. I think that that was something that I, I kind of figured out. Well, you played with two of the all-time greats. In my opinion, Michael Jordan's greatest player of all time. You had a chance to play with him as a teammate, and you were also mentioning uh, that Cleveland team where you were playing with a young LeBron James where he was kind of learning his place in the league and kind of watching his elevation Give us a little bit as an insider's perspective that who's seen them both up close in practice and in games. What, what are the similarities and what are the differences between those two? Uh, the similarities that they both can flat out get the job done. You know, that, that's, that's similar that you can find that between both of them. However it needs to get done, it's going to get done. Whether it's scoring, defending, passing, it's going to get done. I think what's the difference between the two is the mentality of which they operate to get those things done. It's how they communicate to, to their teammates, but also how they communicate to the outside space. Uh, that's opponents, that's opposing coaches, that's just anyone that's not in the bunker with them. And I think MJ was a guy that if you were in the bunker with him, you know, there was a relationship that you had and those that were on the outside, you had to stay away. With Braun, I think it's, 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 if you're in the bunker with him, he understands how to communicate. But even if you're on the outside, he'll still communicate with you. And with that, I think it gives opponents somewhat of a he's okay kind of vibe. And MJ, he didn't have that. Like you didn't want to, he didn't want to talk to you, and you definitely were scared to talk to him. So I think that that's a little bit of a you know you know a small difference that they that they both have. have. <laughs> you mentioned uh, scared to talk to MJ. Now, for me, my rookie year was his last year in the league. I have, I've always respected opponents, but I've never feared an opponent. Uh, this goes all the way back to high school. But when I walked on the court to play against Michael Jordan my rookie year, it's the only time ever in my life I've kind of literally – I did a triple take to make sure that was really Michael Jordan. Was there a guy like that for you when you walked into the league? Maybe it was the first time you played Jordan. And then did that at all change when you were teammates and being around MJ every day? Well, it was definitely Jordan. Uh, it was definitely Jordan. I mean, I actually had a workout before I decided to go to, to St. Louis University. I had a workout with Tim Grover, 
uh, in Chicago and was introduced to, to Michael Jordan during that time, was very brief, um, still had the mystique of, of him, you know, you know, being the black Jesus, you know what I'm saying? He still had that. So it was a, a really br brief meeting, but I got a chance to actually see him, you know, in the gym with the courts and the baskets and everything. So I got a chance to see him in that setting and I was definitely in awe. So to fast forward all of that time and for him to be in the front office. So he, he actually signed me to come and play in Washington and he was also my teammate. Um, so those are the experiences that I have of, of meeting him for the first time as a teenager. And then fast forward, you know, kind of in that, in my career, um, having conversations and meeting with him again and being his teammate. And he, he is one of those guys that every time you see or hear Michael Jordan, there's just a different sort of feeling that you get, uh, you know, being around that guy. <laughs> I, I know he's a legendary trash talker, but did it ever relent, whether it was on practice court, whether it was on the flight or against opponents in a real game? Nah, man, it, it was, it was every day, all day. Um, he would have his targets. No, no, don't get me wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't widespread. So he would have his targets of guys that, that he would get on or talk trash to. Uh, Byron Russell was one of the guys, uh, obviously him and Jerry Stackhouse, they went back and forth a lot uh, during those practice times. Uh, but yeah, I, he, he still had that mentality that he was the greatest in the world. So yeah, he, he still was talking trash to everybody. What do you like to, to focus on these days when you're watching a game? And is it the NBA game or is it the college game that, that you like to watch when you get a chance? Um, I'm a basketball guy, so I, I watch all levels, right? I'm even working with kids that, you know, can't run and chew gum at the same time. So I, I just love all levels of basketball. And when I'm watching basketball, I'm not watching the dribble moves or – you know, made or missed shots for that matter. I'm like really watching like body movements, uh, feet placement. Like I'm watching like those little small things to try to understand how someone is able to get to the spot that they're getting to or get a shot off. Um, because again, we, I'm working with the young people. So there's all, all these different body types that are similar to these guys that are playing. So I like to have an understanding of body types and how different bodies move that can help you know, the young people grow in, into their game, if that makes sense. Oh, without a doubt. I think footwork to me is something when I'm running my my basketball academy workouts, there's three kind of non-negotiables every workout we, we focus on. Footwork, ball handling, and shooting. Without those three, um, you're re really limiting yourself as a player. Um, so those are, those are the focuses that I have. But with playing at a high level for so long, you come across guys, I'm sure, as they come into the league or you've kind of gone through the league and played against a lot of different guys, you probably hear from fans or you hear from your buddies in the summertime, man, how is that guy in the NBA? There is no way he's in the NBA. But you, having been there, know just how good those guys are. Mm -hmm. Is there one or two guys when you look back over the course of your career like that guy was undervalued by everybody? They could really play. Well, I think just off the top, there's always a number of those guys on every NBA team, right? I mean, the NBA team is going to play seven to eight guys, but there's 14 guys on the team. And if you drop any one of those seven other guys in any sort of league or any sort of opportunity, they're going to kill. Um, so it's a matter of like Alan Henderson was a guy that I played with 
they just just came to mind. Hindu, um, yep. He, yeah, I were teammates with him in in Atlanta. Great guy. Yes, yes, sir. And he was one of those guys, man. That went out and did his job. Like he's going to defend. He's going to rebound. Uh, he's going to do everything that the team needs. And those are the things that that when you talk about those innate those qualities that professional players have that a lot of people don't have. That's a lot of the times the reason why they made it is because of things that they're willing to sacrifice because they're also great. Uh, but Hindu is a guy, man, and I, I love playing with Hindu because he was a, a team first guy, but put him on the block, he can score it, um, put him on defense, he can defend and rebound. You know, Alan Henderson, Hindu is a name I haven't heard in quite some time, and it, it brought back a quick memory real quick for me. He would always drive his Bentley to practice, and it was as clean as possible. Like, he, he wouldn't drive any of his cars without it literally having been detailed the day before. I mean, he was, it was pristine. I came across an article uh, years ago, and I don't know why I remember remembering this out of the blue. Allen Iverson was a teammate of yours. Is it true that he gifted you a Bentley, but there was no gas in it and you couldn't drive it home? Yeah, so he didn't gift it to me. I was going to take it home. And then I was going to pick him up for workouts the next morning. <laughs> we were at a restaurant together. And, I'm, you know, this was early on our sixer days. So I was going to take the car. Uh, this was before we were in a lockout. So we couldn't use the, um, the facility. We couldn't use the sixer facility. So I was going to take the car home. And he was a guy that you had to make sure that he got up. Like somebody had to go get Alan. Like he's not just going to get up and show up on his own. Like he had to go get him. So I was a guy to task to go and get him. So I'm just driving, you know, on my way home and, and start car starts acting funny and pull over. Don't know what's going on with the car. Call one of his guys like, yo, the car's stopped on the side of the road. I need help. It's not moving. They pull up, smiles, laughing, giggling. I'm like, I just messed up. I don't know what's going on. This $300,000 car, whatever. They just smiling, laughing, giggling. And long story short, they knew that the car didn't have any gas in it. So they were just trying to figure out how far I could get away, you know, get get close to home before the car actually ran out of gas. So, yeah, he didn't gift it to me, but it was it was mine to pick him up the next day. Uh, that's a hilarious story. <laughs> Allen Iverson was another one of those guys that was a handful for me because, one, he was unbelievably skilled. He was always in attack mode, and he played with an edge that uh, everybody who's watched him play can, seize, can see. How was it he as a teammate? Because Todd McCulloch is, was a college teammate of mine at UW, and he absolutely loved playing with AI. He said he would put you on his back. If, if, you knew, if he knew you were going to play hard and try to play to win, he was one of the best teammates ever. What was it like playing with Allen Iverson? Great teammate. Great teammate. Uh, you, you'll never hear Allen fault any of his teammates about their, their shortcomings, their faults, whether – uh, they struggle shooting the ball, whether they struggle defending or struggle. He's he's never one of those guys. Like you said, like what Ty was saying, I know Ty for sure too. He's he's if if you show him that he that you're in the battle, and we, he calls it the foxhole. If he ever knows that you that you're one of those guys that'll go into the foxhole with him, he your brothers for life, right? I mean, on and off the court, he's gonna make sure that you know he can do whatever he can do to make sure that you're straight. And that's one of the great qualities of him is that. He's not going to – He's you never hear Allen talk about his teammates. It's all about if, if there was a shortcoming, he was a guy that was going to try to uh, bridge that gap. 
Well, last question, Larry, before I let you go. And a lot of times I'll ask guys um, this same question. I asked it with, with Jamal Crawford a little bit ago uh, about Seattle. But obviously you're from St. Louis. Give me your five best players in St. Louis history. Uh, Got to have JoJo White. Uh, Got to put myself in there. That's two. Got to have Anthony Bonner. Uh, we're going to have Easy Ed as another big guy. And I'm going to go with family. I'm going to put Jason Tatum in there. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's quite a few good names right there. St. Louis basketball is definitely something uh, to, to pay attention to. The one name, I, I believe he's from St. Louis. Correct me if I'm wrong. Bradley Beal, am I right there? Yeah, yeah, Bradley. Yeah, Bradley's definitely from St. Louis. Well, he's yeah. he's a heck of a sixth man. Then he'll come off the bench and he'll give you thirty for sure. So yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Larry, I appreciate the time. Uh, I appreciate uh, all that you're doing for for youth. Obviously, I'm not from St. Louis, but I know the impact that guys like you can have on their communities. And, and I thank you for that. So thanks again for joining the ISO. Nothing but the best of luck and enjoy watching this upcoming season, both at college and the NBA level. Right on, man. Appreciate you having me. Uh, anytime you want to get back on again, talk some basketball, talk whatever, man, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.